0: open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 2. Our scripture reading came from there today, and we're going to look at that as the major portion of our text this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2. You know, as Christians, we are are quite blessed to hold in our hands the Word of God. We have the complete plan that God set forth even before creation. Nothing is missing from it, nothing is lacking, does not fall short, and there's nothing that needs to be added to it. His plan of redemption has been fully expressed in his word. What a marvelous thing that is. And that expression of his redemption of mankind is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 4, it says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us to, as adopt, uh, predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Before the foundation of the earth, he knew how he was going to redeem man from his sins, and that was through his son, Jesus Christ. In John's gospel, in the first chapter, John tells us about how Jesus Christ is the word of God. And he goes on to tell us how the word became flesh and dwelt among men. The very idea that The perfect will of God, the word of God, became flesh and dwelt on earth among men. That tells us how important God's word is, doesn't it? And these are not merely words on a page or just simply a book that you can go and buy. Yes, that's indeed what you can do. And, And thankfully we have that ability to go in a store and and purchase the best-selling book of all time. But it's not just the words on the page. This is our Lord. This is the expression of his redemption. If we want to have the closest possible relationship with the man who redeemed us from our sins, that man Jesus Christ, if we want to have the closest relationship we can have with him, we need to know this word because it tells us about him. It fully expresses the son of God. Peter speaks in his writings about this as well, about that need to know and to nourish from the word of God, particularly here in 1 Peter chapter 2. He speaks of how Christians should desire the word. Just like a baby desires nourishing milk. So this morning I wanted us to consider how we should long for the milk of the word. Let's read this again. Just three verses here. 1 Peter 2 verses 1 through 3. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word. That by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. There's a lot packed into those three little verses right there. So what I'd like for us to do this morning is to, is to look at these and go, by, go through it and understand more and more about how important it is for us to long for that milk of the word. Let's begin by understanding that, that Peter starts off by saying there's some things that we need to put aside. And there's a list of those things that, Paul, that Peter mentions here in, in this particular passage. It's all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all slander. These are things that we as humans engage in, aren't they? Hopefully not all of us in all categories, but we've probably been guilty of some of that, haven't we? Because we're human. Because we're fallible. Because we have the ability to transgress God's law. So Peter's saying, you've got to put aside those things. There has to be a putting aside so that we may then put on. Notice that he says here in the passage, like newborn babes, a newborn babe doesn't have to worry about these things. He's, he or she is sinless. He or she doesn't practice these things. They haven't learned how to do those things. So the expression here, what Peter is saying is, you know, we've grown up. We're guilty of those kinds of things. So we've got to put those things off like a newborn babe. We've got to go back and understand that those things we understand, our sin, have to be put off before we can put on things that we need to put on. And what are those things that we need to put on? Look over in Colossians chapter 3. Lots of places we can go and look about things we need to put on. This one, I think, is is very well suited to what we're speaking about here. In Colossians 3, beginning in verse 12, it says, And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing one to one another, and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against you, uh, against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So there's a putting off, there's a putting aside, and there's a putting on. Back over in our text there, Peter says, like newborn babes, here's this idea again, innocence. So now you've put these things off, you've put on those things that Paul talks about there in Colossians, like newborn babes. We know this, a child instinctively craves nourishment. It's what fuels our body. It's what makes us go. The food that we take in gets turned into energy, and that propels our body. And there's an instinctive yearning for that as we are newborns, because without it, we'd starve to death, wouldn't we? A child instinctively craves nourishment. A child of God gets his nourishment from the Word of God. So here's where the simile starts to come together. Here's where Peter is talking about that there needs to be an attitude in us that we're craving this nourishment out of instinct. And the word of God is what serves as a nourishment to the child of God. And let's understand this also, that God has presented his word so that a babe may partake of it. A couple of thoughts about this. In 1 uh, uh, 1 Corinthians um, 14, Paul speaks about God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches. God hasn't given us something that's confusing to us. He hasn't given us something that we can't take in. Like a newborn babe, we can take in the Word of God. He has structured it. He has presented it. He has given it to us so that we may be able to take it in that way. He's not the God of confusion. Understand this on the other side of that. And Peter writes about this in his second letter. He says that that Paul wrote some things that are hard to understand. If you look in that passage there, there's exactly the wording that's, that's used there. Peter didn't say that Paul's writings cannot be understood. Peter says that some things Paul has written are hard to understand. What does that mean to us? That means... That we've got to study more. Some things are easy to understand. Some things are harder to understand. But they're not impossible to understand. God has given us his word. He wouldn't give us a set of instructions that we wouldn't be able to understand. Yes, it takes diligent study. Some things are harder to understand. There's things that I'm still studying on. Because I want to fully understand them. And I hope that there's things I'm studying on my whole life. If I ever get to the point where I say, I got it figured out, that I'm in danger. Look over in Matthew chapter 11 for just a moment. Matthew chapter 11, beginning verse 28. Familiar passage to us. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my load or my burden is light. Jesus is talking about what it means to be a disciple of God, a disciple of Christ. What does it mean to? to follow after him and, and Jesus is saying here that you know in the grand scheme of things it's easy you just follow after me now we might say well there's lots of things in the world to give up and Jesus talks about those things in other places but really it's easy you just follow after Jesus Christ and he says my yoke is easy my burden is light God has given it to us so that as newborn babes We can come into the kingdom. He talks about next, the pure milk of the word. Like newborn babes, yearn for, long for the pure milk of the word. Let's understand this about the word, that it is perfect as it is pure. The word is perfect. The word is pure. In James chapter 1, there about verse 25, he talks about that the word being the perfect law of liberty. And he's talking about how a man goes and looks in a mirror and, and, he, and he looks on his face and he walks away. And in a little while he's forgotten what he looks like. And then he contrasts that with the word of God. He says, but if you stare intently at the perfect law of liberty, then you can abide in that. You won't forget what that looks like. It's holding us up to a higher standard, not the standard of ourselves or others in this world, but the law of God. That's the perfect law of liberty. Understand this also, that this is the way that God has chosen to communicate the message of salvation. Yes, in the, when the word is going out, they have the apostles that are going by word of mouth that are proclaiming these things. But Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13 that those things are going to die out. What we're going to be left with is the Word of God, which, as we've already established, is perfect. The perfect intention of His will. We have it. We're able to pick it up and to hold it and to read it. In Hebrews 1 there, we mention this often about how um, God, in various times and various ways, spoke to the fathers through the prophets. And the Hebrew writer says, but now he has chosen, he has spoken to us in his Son. Again, the full expression of God's will for man is expressed in Jesus Christ and spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom we also have made the world. Everything comes through Jesus Christ. And so this is how God has chosen to communicate uh, the plan of salvation. Look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. <clears throat> you know, this is, this is part of God's plan and, and, and Paul is making the, the argument here about how the world sees this as foolishness. How can this almighty God send his son to die on a cross at the hands of men that's foolishness to the world. But here in 1 Corinthians 1, beginning verse 18, it says, For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. But to us who are being saved by it, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God the world came through its wisdom, did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. It may sound foolish to man, but this is how God has chosen to do it. And the message that Paul and the others were preaching is that Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the way God has chosen to do this. This is the pure and perfect message that God has brought to the world. And as we mentioned there and the, that Paul is saying here, and he also says over in Romans about the power of God, it, the word is the power of God. It can save your soul. How powerful is that? And that same passage there in James chapter 1 in verse 21, it says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So the world may think it's foolishness, but it's the power of God into salvation to those who believe. Notice in, in this, in James's passage here, notice again there's a putting aside. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, or again, we've got to put off those things of this world. If we want to take in the good things, we've got to put off the bad. And the New Testament writers tell us that. That you may grow. Desire the milk of the word. Long for the milk of the word. That you may grow. Understand that the, the word of God is life-sustaining. When uh, Jesus is being tempted by the devil in the wilderness, remember that the the devil says, Jesus, if you're hungry, why don't you command these stones to become bread? Remember what Jesus said? First of all, he says, it is written. And then he says that man shall not live by bread alone, but what? But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Look over in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Jesus is quoting from this this passage here. I want us to, to look at it and and understand a little bit more about the context and see how profound this little reference is to what Jesus is saying. In Deuteronomy chapter eight, beginning in verse one. It says, All the commandments I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do This is Moses speaking to the children of Israel, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give you in the forefathers. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandment or not. And he humbled you, and let you be hungry, and fed you with the manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell for those 40 years. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as man disciplines his son. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. There's lots of things that happened as the children of Israel are wandering in the wilderness there. Moses is making the point here that God is providing these things to you. These are physical things, the manna, the soles of their feet, the clothes not wearing out. Those are the physical things that helped carry them through this time when they're wandering in the wilderness. But there's a spiritual connection, and that's what Jesus is talking about. You shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The word of God is sustaining, is life-sustaining to the Christian. Just as these things were physically sustaining to the children of God. The children of Israel as they're coming out of Egypt and crossing into the promised land. Growth is essential in the life of a Christian. You know, We always have to be growing. We talk about this a lot and this is important. This is why we're here. This is why we come on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock to study the Bible and again Sunday evening at five o'clock and Wednesday in the middle of the week at 7 o'clock here. We've determined that we we're going to come together, we're going to study the Word of God. Why? Because it's essential to our to our life as a Christian. We need to be growing. Always need to be growing. Look over in Ephesians 4. Paul is talking about growing. He's talking about the growth of the church. He's also talking about the growth of the individual parts of the church. And guess what those are? It's you and me. We are the parts of the church. We are what make up this body. Here in Ephesians 4, beginning of verse 14, he says, As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine and by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him, who which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Growth is essential to the body of the church and to each individual part of that body. And that's us. The child of God needs to be growing so that we can reach that maturity. We can reach that fullness so that we can function the best that we can as individuals and then giving our best to the body, and that is the church. He says there, Peter does, if you have tasted, go back and let's read that. that you may grow in respect to salvation, verse 3, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. What does this mean here, the kindness of the Lord? Why is this a part of what Peter is explaining here? If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Lots of ways to express that. I think Titus here in chapter 3 does well in our context. Titus chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. It says, Remind them to be subject to the rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be uh, uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also, once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Does that sound familiar? Those are the things we've got to be putting off, Right? Paul's expressing this to Titus as well. These things got to be put off. Verse 4. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. There's the kindness we're talking about. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now in verse 7. That being justified by his grace, we might be heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There's the kindness of God. If you have tasted that, if you understand that the Lord has saved us from our sins, not on account of anything that we have done, but out of his kindness, out of his grace, out of his mercy, he's made it available that we might be heirs to the kingdom. An understanding about this is that really there is no going back. Now, when I say that, I understand that I'm not preaching that once we're saved, we're always in that condition, that we're always saved. No, we can choose to turn away from God. What I'm saying is that there should be no going back. Look over in Luke chapter 9. once you become a disciple of the Lord you have tasted the kingdom you have tasted what God has given to us as his children Jesus is making this point to his disciples about what it means to be a disciple and to follow after him Beginning of verse 57 of Luke 9. It says, They were going along the road. Someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And another also said to him, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me permit permit me to say goodbye to those at home. And Jesus said, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is worthy of the kingdom of God. Brethren, we have to be going forward. We have to be headed towards heaven. And there is no going back. Those things that lie behind, our pasts, we can't do anything about it anyway. So the encouragement to the brethren, to those who are of the Lord is keep going. You've put your hand to the plow, now keep going forward. And why is that? Why do we say that it's easy to say, right? Sounds good? Here it is in scripture. I can quote it. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is precious. What God has given to us is precious. And we should hold on to it with everything that we have. It's worth everything we have in this world. Ten times that. It reminds me of the parables of our Lord, when he talks about the hidden treasure and the costly pearl, remember what those two men did that, that when they found those things, when they found the hidden treasure, remember what, what he did? He went and sold all that he had so he could buy that field and have that treasure that was hidden there. Remember, the one who, was, um, who found that costly pearl, he did the same thing. He went and sold all that he had so could, he could have that one thing. And Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven is like that. It's worth everything that we have. So when we talk about tasting the Lord's kindness, we're talking about entering into the kingdom. He's granted that through his kindness. He's granted us salvation. And once we have tasted that, there should be no going back. The word of God is precious. It instructs us how we can be saved. It tells us that we are saved through this one, Jesus Christ. And once we have tasted that, there should be no going back. So the question comes down then, have you tasted the Lord's kingdom? Are you in the body of Christ? If you have, understand that there should be no going back. Keep your hand on that plow keep moving forward and all this and and to wrap up our lesson here in understanding is that there needs to be a longing for the milk of the word we need to continue in our studies and continue in our desire to know more about this one who has saved us from our sins and that one is Jesus Christ And salvation is only available through him. So I encourage you to continue in your studies. Continue to seek out the Lord our God. I don't want to embarrass somebody, but I'm going to... Can I hold your Bible for just one second? I saw this in our Bible class, and I wanted to show you what a desire the milk of the word looks like. How long have you had this Bible? Probably 10 years. That's a lot for 10 years. <laughs> this is what a desire for the pure milk of the word looks like. This is someone who diligently studies the word of God. And I encourage you, now this may not be your way of studying. I might make notes in my Bible and I don't always mark them that way. But I encourage you to have that kind of desire for the milk of the word. If you're not a child of God, I beg of you to become one. If as a child of God, you're not longing for that milk of the word. That desire has left you for some reason. I encourage you to rekindle that. Whatever your needs might be, you can let those be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.